Hey everybody, this is Sam. Uh, we're we're back at it again. Uh, this episode we are dealing with history again, uh, but we're not just staying there. What it eventually is going to tie into is how you and I communicate, how we discuss things, how we argue, and it is a important uh, thought or lesson that I've been thinking about and mulling over. And we're going to learn this lesson from Abraham Lincoln. So, without further ado, let's go. The story is the Gettysburg Address. It's a familiar one. President Lincoln is asked to dedicate a soldier's cemetery for the Union Army. And he's asked to uh, give a dedication speech during this ceremony. So Lincoln gets on a train and he writes this uh, short speech on his way there. And he gets there and he delivers the speech. And he even in his speech remarks that very few people will remember this speech, but actually many people do to this day. And school children um, are given it as an assignment to memorize every day. And this is a great example of Lincoln's genius, his humility, and his eloquence in a very short period of time to write this speech last minute. It's a great story. The only problem is, that's not what happened. The story really is somewhere in between. Lincoln actually did prepare most of his speeches. He did not like um, doing impromptu speeches. Uh, Quite the opposite. He would spend almost two weeks on the speech, which was typical for him. Um, John Hay, one of Lincoln's private secretaries, remembered that in 1891 that the speech was carefully considered. On November, November the 15th, three days before leaving for Gettysburg, the president told Noah Brooks, a reporter friend, that the speech was written but not finished. John Nicolay, Lincoln's other secretary, attested that the president did no writing on the jostling train, which would have been a tough task in those days, but wrote the speech's final paragraph that night at the Gettysburg's, Gettysburg house where he was staying. The speech's final draft, said Nicolay, was two pages, one in ink on White House stationery and one in pencil on plain blue paper. So no train and no envelopes. But what Lincoln did do, as he was writing his final paragraph, he finds this quote from his childhood that he remembers. He got it from a book uh, entitled Life of General Washington. Now, one night after a torrential rainstorm, Lincoln discovered that water had seeped between the logs of his childhood home and destroyed his book. 
One page, however, in this ruined book was still legible. It was the last page showing a woodcut of General Washington kneeling before a monument marked Valley Forge. Underneath were nine words, that these dead shall not have died in vain. The words were permanently stuck in Lincoln's brain as he would go on to use that very phrase in the final paragraph of his address. And that is a great example of using a great historical quote to make a commentary on current events. Now, that is a great lesson and a great move. And unfortunately, it is the opposite of what you and I frequently do today. What comes to your mind when I read these words? These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the, the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it should be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. If you thought that that came from a quote from today, well, you probably would be kidding yourself. I don't think anyone is that eloquent today. But I believe some of us immediately applied this famous quote by Thomas Paine to today. That these are the times that try men's souls. And that would be a very easy thing to do, to equate these two things. But if I did that, I would be able to score some political points. But I wouldn't be accurate. I wouldn't be correct. Why? Because the two situations aren't the same. Our current American political climate is a mess. It is polarizing, but we are not in the same situation, not nearly in the same situation we were, as we were when Thomas Paine wrote The Crisis in December 23rd, 1776. It's simply not the same situation. We're not even close. But sometimes, in our communication, in our political discussions... We make false equivalencies in order to make political arguments. Now, this happens frequently and too frequently with our political figures of the day and the talking heads that we see on Meet the Press or Fox News. But I see it too often 
on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, or even in everyday discussions. We not necessarily use quotes, but we equate things that are happening today with horrible things that have happened in the past that aren't necessarily the same thing. And I think that's dangerous. For one, it waters down the past. It, because when we do that, when we equate what's going on today and to say and to say that the same, say whatever may be happening today, is the same thing as the Holocaust, is just unfair and untrue. Not to dismiss any terrible things that may be going on today, they very rarely touch the gravity and atrocity of what has happened in the past. But this frequently is done by the left or the right in order to warn or to prove a point about an opposing political viewpoint when what we should do instead is argue on the merits of the actual issue. If you are right, and if who the people that you disagree with are doing something terrible, reveal and show the atrocity that is actually happening without necessarily equating it with something that it is not equal to. Because when you do that, you were equating some two things that aren't the same. And while you're trying to do something good, you in fact do a disservice to those who have gone through much worse things. The other thing that we do when we make false equivalencies is we make ourselves the hero. We Because if we're casting other people whomever we disagree with, if we're calling them Nazis, well, then that makes us the hero. That makes us the guys storming the beaches at Normandy. Why? Simply because someone disagrees with me politically. That makes you a Nazi. When that simply isn't the case. The other danger that this does, if we too loosely misapply the gravity of the past to the present is that when this label should be applied because we do do it so frequently it weighs the same on everyone if we call everybody in the on the right politically nazis when some people come along and they have who actually identify as nazis and we weigh on them the weight of history. It, has, it doesn't have the same effect because we're too busy calling everyone Nazis. The left is calling the right Nazis. The right is calling the left Nazis. And this is something that's gone on for way too long. And we unfortunately do this ourselves 
and it's gone throughout history. Um, Ronald Reagan was supposed to bring about a Handmaid's Tale-like situation, which didn't occur, whether or not you like him. President Obama, I actually remember walking through uh, the state of Michigan in a tiny town that actually has a German heritage, and there was a picture of him with, I believe, a Hitler mustache and the letters impeach spelled above his pic- spelled above above his picture you would think that if anyone would be wary of making hitler comparisons it would be a predominantly german background anywhere but they allowed that to happen simply because they disagreed with President Obama. Now, I make this appeal not to change your mind politically. If you're on the left, I'm not trying to make you like the current administration. If you're on the right, I'm not trying to get you to love the left. What I'm trying to make an appeal for is for you and me to be better than the people on Fox News and the people on MSNBC and the people on Meet the Press who are the talking heads who make these wild, irresponsible equivalencies to the past and these quick labelings. That at least you and I can make intelligent discussions on the actual issues. And we can start by having a true respect for history by using it sparingly. Then I think we'll make more effective arguments and maybe understand those who disagree with us a little better. When we do respect history, I think then, thankfully, those that have died won't have died in vain. Next time, the story is an investigation. Next time, we're going to get away from politics, though we may not. Because what I'm going to be investigating is an interesting trend in the theater world. There is a specific Shakespeare play that hasn't been done in the past too frequently that has popped up, uh, especially in uh, my area of the country, quite a bit. And I'm going to figure out why. That's next time.